Welcome to the Brick Business Show, where we talk about Lego investing, Lego reselling, entrepreneurship, and how people all around the world are using the thing that they love, Lego, to create an income and build a business. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Brick Business Show. And uh, today, I couldn't be more excited to introduce Hugh Millington. Hugh is the creator, founder, uh, current CEO of, uh, of Brickset.com, which of course is a website that all of us here in the Lego community yeah. know all about. Brickset is a uh, place where you can go to basically look up any set you can imagine, parts, minifigs, uh, and also read tons and tons of articles, all sorts of different features, which we will talk about today with you. Hugh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much, Shane. It's uh, much appreciated you taking the time out. I know you're a busy, busy man with the website at the scale and level that it is at. Uh, today. So I want to start by going back uh, to the very, very beginning, you know, and kind of really like looking back at the history of Brickset because it has been, it's been going for uh, quite some time now and it really is a kind of an interesting and, and impressive feat. But could you take us back, I guess, let's begin with your history with Lego, um, you know, in general. And, uh, you know, pre-Brickset, I guess, um, you know, was Lego kind of a big part of your life? Um, where did your journey begin with it? Yes, of course, as a child, I had a lot of Lego. Uh, that, that was been in the uh, late 70s, would have been my peak Lego, so to speak. So, uh, But actually, just before minifigures, so it was around um, 74 to 77 thereabouts, I think, was my uh, childhood um, era of uh, playing with Lego. Uh, uh, so that, um, obviously, before minifigures. Um, I had a few Technic sets after that, but I was starting to grow out of it by the time that... Um, um, Technic really took off in the uh, you know the late seventies and early eighties, mm -hmm. and then yeah. I pretty much put it to one side until um, my eldest daughter was born, and she's actually celebrating her thirtieth birthday uh, next week. So that tells you how long ago that was. But uh, so in nineteen ninety two she was born, and um, around that time, a couple of years old, I started to look at my old Lego that was still up in the loft and uh, dug that out. And started uh, playing with that with her, although she was still a bit too young for it, I think. Amazing. So, uh, you were introducing her to your early sets. Yes. the um, Around that time, 1994, there were a lot of nice uh, Lego Technic sets around. And um, during trips to uh, toy shops, which, of course, you make uh, quite a few of when you've got uh, young kids, um, I noticed the um, the Technic Air Tech Claw Rig. I don't know if you remember that set, the big... Uh, black one with the yellow uh, pneumatic uh, crane on the back. Uh, I, I saw that on the shelf and uh, that was my first Lego set that I built uh, coming out of my dark ages. So. Amazing. So dark ages being time where you weren't building. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. And this was around what, 96? Yeah, 95, I suppose, something like that. I think it would have been. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so Brickset was founded in 98, I believe. Is that right? Uh, yes, I think possibly 97. I tend to celebrate uh, as the uh, birth of the database. Um, of course, back then in the 90s, uh, the Internet was very much in its infancy and uh, creating websites and what have you was um, a bit of a black art at the time. But it was something that I wanted to uh, learn. So I, um, the first thing I did was create some uh, static pages with lists of uh, promotional lego sets because there wasn't really that sort of information out there and it was something that i was interested in i collected them at the time 
So uh, that's where it all started, really, as a static page of uh, a, a list of Lego sets. That's interesting. So you had just come out of the Dark Ages, as you said. You started building again, 95 or 96. And it was two or three years of kind of renewed interest in Lego before you decided to start a website about it. But it sounds like early on, you know, your your vision for it was really, you know, a lot more kind of simple than it turned out to be in the end. Was that is that accurate? Yes, that's right. Back in the 90s, uh, there were one or two other Lego websites around. Uh, and I suppose it's thanks to the Internet and finding other people that uh, share the same hobby that um, encourages you to carry on with yours, isn't it? So, of course, when I found uh, other people on the Internet with uh, a Lego hobby, I suppose you, um, you know, you start talking to them and that in increases your interest in it. So, um Yes, yeah, so 1995, I suppose, was when I first got onto the internet and uh, Rec Toys Lego, the uh, Usenet news group, was the place where everyone hung out. That was about the only place to do so. And uh, websites, I suppose, took off a year or so after that. Uh, I think lego.com was established in 1996, if I remember correctly. And uh, as I say, my own little homepage, my list of Lego sets started in 1997. That's so interesting. Your your website is is around almost as long as Lego.com. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And so it was really born out of kind of, was it mostly that you just saw a gap there, that there just wasn't these pages out there and you felt like they should be? Did you kind of initially come at it from a standpoint of um, this could be huge or did you literally just think, you know, this is information that people need and I'm going to do it? Yes, that was it. It was a hobby at the time. It still is a hobby, to be honest, but, to, but at that time, there was no inclination that you could make any money from the Internet. Mm. Uh, as I say, there was uh, uh, LoveNet and Peeron, which uh, still exist in one form or another, but they've now fallen into disrepute almost, haven't they? You know, they're now uh, very much neglected. But, yeah. uh, but yes, they were there, but they didn't have the information that I wanted, which is why I started uh, Brickset. Yeah. That's fascinating. And so you mentioned that you didn't have a background with programming or anything like that. Did, did the idea come first and then you had to learn how to actually implement I it? I was moving into that area at work, actually doing um, internal databases and um, uh, the company intranet. So it was okay. a parallel thing, really, you know, learning stuff at work and putting that into practice on Brickset and vice versa. Well, and so how long did it take then to get something out there in the beginning? Was it kind of a lot of, of, you know, back and forth and trial and error before you had anything live? I don't think so. Back in 97, using the simple HTML technologies that were available at the time, probably didn't take very long to do at all. You know, just a few uh, static web pages, as I say. Um, it wasn't until year 2000, and, and I'll try not to get too technical because it will probably bore people, but uh, Microsoft came out with a technology called Active Server Pages, which... Um, <clears throat> late 90s i think it must have come out uh year 2000 it probably took off and um that enabled you to uh you know connect your uh, a web page to a database and, and and program the web page rather than just having a static uh html page so that therefore enabled me to have a a microsoft access database of all my lego information which would then be displayed on the page by the asp script so wow. that's when it started to get more complicated i suppose is what i'm saying and and also very interesting, right? You know, it's like you're yeah. tapping into something that at that point, a lot of people were going to be searching for, you know, because 
when you can start to adopt, you know, a database approach, um, the search queries and different things that people are searching for online are much more likely to be related to the content that you have on the site. And so yes. was that a sudden boom in traffic at that point when you made that switch over from static to database backed? Uh, well, at the same time, I registered the domain bricksets.com. So that uh, will no doubt have helped. But um, no, I don't think there was a, a, a rush of traffic at that point. It, it sort of built up over time. Um, I can look back on my Google Analytics to about 2004, I think, and see you know a, a gradual uh, increase since then. But uh, prior to that, I don't really know, to be honest. It uh, you know started down in the noise and gradually worked its way upwards. But uh, interesting. Okay. And was there, um, I mean, there was probably like, was there any other resource for looking up Lego sets online at that time that were not being sold? You know, for, for like, did Lego themselves have past sets and, and minifigs and parts and anything like that? Was there anywhere where you could do that? Lego, no, they didn't have anything. No, uh, Bricklink was established in 1999, I think. So that was starting to have a database, uh, but that database had and still has a different uh, purpose to Brickset, uh, and that is to sell things, isn't it? So the database lists things that people want to sell rather than what people want to collect. There's obviously an overlap there, but um, but their data um, and ours, I suppose, was um, seeded from uh, you know previous work on the Peron and the Lugnet databases that uh, were established in 1996 or thereabouts. So. Gotcha. Okay. And then in the, in those early days, so, you know, for the first handful of years of, of working on the site, did it continue to just be a hobby or, or was there a point that you can, you know, point to um, where you started to see potential for it to be a business? Yes, I can pinpoint it exactly. Actually, it would have been around October 2007. Okay. So... Obviously, then between year 2000 and 2007, I built up quite a lot of traffic. Uh, and um, at that time, Lego had just started up their affiliate marketing scheme. And the company that runs that for them, Linkshare, the guy in charge of the Lego um, affiliate scheme reached out to me and said, you know, why don't you put these links on your site? Then when people click on them, you might make some money if they buy stuff once they've done so. And, uh, you know, that was all new to me I hadn't even considered that as a possibility but um but I put the links on and uh sure enough you know the first month or so I must have probably made a hundred pound or so and, and clearly then uh, I could see there was potential there for making more money and um in the next couple of years I added uh, Amazon and eBay and various other vendors and um sort of ramped it up from there really so yeah yeah 2007 as i say would have been the time when i thought actually i might be able to make some money from this and uh, perhaps run it full time but i didn't do so until 2012. yeah yeah so uh, so the affiliate model was kind of the door opener for you and were you doing advertising revenue before that or only after no, that? no and in fact at that time i didn't need to do any or show any advertising because um the revenue particularly from ebay was really quite high you know perhaps more than you might expect and um unfortunately the problem with affiliate schemes is, is that the companies uh, tweak the algorithms and change the rules and what have you in terms of what they're going to pay you as a percentage of the sales and um you know ebay is probably now 10 percent now of what it was back in the day 
so when that started to uh, decrease somewhat i had to put the adverts on to uh, uh <coughs> to uh, uh excuse me to um <coughs> compensate yeah mm -hmm. makes total sense and yeah amazon have also massively changed the whole affiliate model in the last couple of years yes yeah. you are kind of beholden to whatever company you're you're partnered with i guess and so for that 10 years you were still looking at this as a hobby right up until 2007 and um you know there was no advertising revenue the affiliate model hadn't kicked in yet but yet you were still committed to it so during that that 10 years um i imagine the site grew you know exponentially when you you know you started with the database work and different things like that so i guess um where did the drive and commitment come from at that time and you know was it really all just pure passion for lego or was there you know other kind of contributors maybe the the community and different things like that and people you were getting to know through it all and different things what was kind of really driving you for those 10 years that it wasn't really a business it was a hobby but it was a hobby that took a lot of time that's a good question i think um what motivated me i suppose it was being part of the community and being seen as a cornerstone of that community that was certainly a motivator um by that time i'd established good relationships with the lego they started up their affiliate scheme sorry their um, ambassador scheme 2005 or six or so i think it was and i was one of the first ambassadors so but you know we started to have a good um relationship with the company so that was obviously another motivator there to maintain that um relationship but um i suppose it was just ultimately just a desire to um keep track of all the lego sets out there you know that was you know the ultimate aim you know in addition to that it was also um getting to grips with all the emerging um web technologies uh you know keeping on top of all that and incorporating them into the site you know as a learning exercise wow and so yeah it's just real passion and and enjoyment uh it sounds like yes but what did a day in the life look like at that time because you were still working full-time uh up until 2012 and so yes how much were you working on brickset at that time probably not that much to be honest we weren't writing reviews or doing a lot of news and that sort of thing we were just purely maintaining the database i think that was it and uh, i can't remember now when we started a lot more news and reviews but that was much later on you know that was in, in the 2010s i think that started to ramp up but, uh, to, to write so articles on the site exactly it would have been a couple of hours after work i suppose something like that so okay yeah, yeah. still quite busy i imagine um and then you had still about five years after you know you started figuring out that it was going to be a business and you're monetizing before you decided to take the plunge in terms of um quitting your full-time job and so how was that transition for you or how like what kind of built up to that uh decision and um you know was it a difficult one to make yes i had been working for the company for uh, 30 years so it's obviously quite a a, a tough decision to decide if you want to leave or not uh, i was enjoying the job uh, has to be said probably not so much on in the last year or so and that perhaps uh, pushed me over the edge to decide to leave but certainly until um 2011 2012 you know i quite enjoyed the job and uh, i didn't want to leave it so i managed to keep them going you know the two jobs as it were going at the same time yeah but then um that immediate kind of switch uh, and focus you know on the website 
um, what was the the early kind of change like for that? You know, did you suddenly have um, tons of things you wanted to achieve with Brickset? Did you suddenly kind of think, okay, well now all my attention is going on this? I've got ten ideas that I've been pushing out. Um, you know, what was that kind of initial transition uh, like for those first few months? Well, the first thing I wanted to do was completely rewrite the website because, as I said, most of it had been written early 2000s and it, you know, it was functional, but it was quite difficult to maintain and add new features and what have you. So I uh, rewrote it pretty much from scratch um, 2012 and then launched the site as it is now in 2014. Okay. So I got a, a designer on board that I had worked with in my previous job and uh, he did the... Um, you know, the graphic design and the CSS to support that design. And then I converted that into the website and uh, attached the database and wrote all the scripts and what have you to, um, to put it all together. Well, it's been quite nerve wracking to recreate the whole thing, you know, and I guess you were probably a little nervous that you'd lose all the traffic and returning visitors at that point, or, or, or was it kind of a little easier than you might expect? I don't think I was afraid of losing the traffic. Certainly people uh, objected to the new site once it launched, but I, I suppose you know people don't like change, do they? But uh, ultimately it, it was the right decision. Um, the site was a lot simpler then. You know, we didn't have all the um, mini figures and parts and a lot of the other bits and pieces that we have now. So it wasn't as a huge job to do it. But um, nevertheless, when, uh, you know, when it switched over, yes, people complained and for a few months. But I think actually once they'd... Uh, worked their way around the site and got to see how much better it was they uh, you know got grow you know grew to love it so yeah there's always going to be some of that complaints and we're hearing it again right now in the lego community with the price changes uh the amount of comments i'm seeing about i'm not buying lego anymore because of the price increases and give it mm. give it three months and everyone will move on unfortunately yes. but it's, it's true and so the relaunch of the site um what were some of the big major differences in the before and the after of that it was, well, the, the whole site looks completely different to it, what it did previously, uh, a much better means of navigating around the um, site and filtering the lists and that sort of thing. That's the main change. Um, it just looks much more professional, I suppose. And uh, it was also optimized to work on um, any size of screen. So, you know, of course, mobile phones were um, up and coming in. 2014 and uh, now I think it's something like 60% of the traffic comes from mobile phones so it was obviously an important thing to make sure it works uh, properly on those and uh, that's what the redesign delivered. Right and so you were really kind of gearing up for you know the next 20 years of, of growing this site and kind of really I guess making sure the technology was up to scratch the design was up to scratch and everything so it was, it was pretty much a functional kind of change to make sure that you know it, it was able to scale. Yes, that's right. I mean, it's um, I can still add features to it now without too much difficulty. You know, it, it's not because it isn't difficult to maintain. I think it'd be quite difficult for someone else to take it over to maintain, given that it's grown somewhat organically in those last uh, 10 years. But um, nevertheless, it um, I can still maintain it and still add features. And I, I tend to have a sort of a, a, a development push in the autumn. You know, I don't do much on the site during the summer, but when the uh, weather changes i tend to spend a bit more time looking through the uh, user suggestions and what have you and uh, adding more features yeah and to this day you're still kind of trying to evolve and trying to trying to change to like make sure that people's voices are heard when it comes to the functionality 
Yes, I am. Yes, I think the rate of change has probably slowed down a bit recently, but nevertheless, I do still make changes here and there. Interesting. Okay. So it sounded like at that time, you know, you needed to get some help with design, with different things like that. Was that the first time that you outsourced some stuff to the, for the site, or was it the first time you worked with another yes, team? Yes, it was. Member? Yes, that was the first time, actually. Yes, yeah. I think even then, trying to remember now when we started having uh, contributors adding news and reviews and what have you, I think probably it would have been after that time. But Right, yeah. And so um, today you have a team of people that are doing different things. I saw you have kind of a US correspondent, New Zealand correspondent and social media manager and different things like that. Um, and so I guess what was the growth of, of the business in that regard like then? When did you start to take more people on to try and help with the different um, aspects that you needed help with? When was it getting too big for you to just kind of manage yourself? I don't think any of it was necessarily planned. Um, Chris, uh, Captain Rex, was my first employee. And uh, he, uh, when he was a teenager, used to contribute some uh, uh, reviews as a user of the site. And, uh, you know, they were just so well written, you wouldn't have guessed that he was only 15 years old or something. And uh, when he went off to university, um, I took him on part time to help writing reviews and news and what have you. And when he left university, I took him on full time. Okay. And um, my daughter does the social media. Again, she left university um, five or six years ago now, I think it must have been, and uh, took her on to do the social media, as I say. Uh, Fantastic. Megan and um, David are US and New Zealand correspondents, do it on a voluntary basis, but uh, often they sent sets to review by lego so they get some uh, remuneration from that uh, point of view amazing um i'm curious to just learn a little bit about the evolution of the site in terms of functionality right if you look at the last mm. uh, since since you uh, started it um when was some of the big features when, i guess when did you get the ideas for some of the big features like the inventory manager um, you know, or the ability for users to, to create their own lists and different things like that. Um, you know, I guess if you look back at it, what were some of the, some of the big milestones in terms of feature ideas that you had and new changes for the site? And uh, what, what did the timeline look like for some of those things to be developed? I'm sure I won't be able to remember the exact years, but um, if you remember back in the early 2000, blogging started to take off. Uh, the Brothers Brick being a good example of a you know a Lego blog there that uh, you know people post an article and then others can comment on it. So uh, that was probably the first um, user interactive feature that I added was the ability for people to comment on our news articles. That would have been let's say 2005 something like that. Um, that therefore required people to log in, and once people can log in, they can do lots of other things. And um, I can't remember now whether I added the ability to record your collection on the site before or after that but that was certainly the the major feature that i added have added over the time that makes it so much more useful to people to be able to record their collections and see the sets they have and those that they don't mm -hmm. <clears throat> so the transition into i guess becoming what they call like a membership site right where you have a login you have an account where you can log in um, yes, yeah. that was in kind of around 2005 time frame and, and it would have been around then, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, like that really did lay a lot of the groundwork for for the 
yes. the features that followed. So until that point, it was very much focused on being a database, you know, being a place where you can search for sets and informations and exclusives and different things like that. Um, and that opened the doors then to inventory management and different things like that that followed. Yes, and you know, general interactivity with websites, which was something that was going on all over the internet. You know, it wasn't just um, a means of publishing information; it was a means of interacting with uh, other people and that sort of thing, contributing to the website yourself, which uh, took off at that time. Yeah, and so and today you get kind of tons of user-generated content around, you know, um, uh, set reviews and different things like that. Is that true? Do people kind of submit articles and different things? Yes, uh, set reviews is an interesting one, actually. Um, we don't get so many now, actually, as we used to. You know, we used to get um, probably 5,000 or so reviews a, a year, something like that, um, you know, perhaps six, seven, eight years ago, prior to the rise of uh, YouTube. Now everyone wants to do their own YouTube video review rather than write one on Brickset. But, uh, but, but no, we do still get um, probably 1,000 a year, something like that. Uh, at a guess, but certainly no, nowhere near as many as in the peak. Right. Were there any features that you developed that are out there on the site or were there for a while that didn't seem to take off as much as you expected that they would? Every feature that you add that you allow users to contribute to, you've, you've got sort of a, a bit of a moderation headache. Right. Of course, so um, you know things like um, reviews. You've got to make sure that they're suitable and not just uh, you know one-line things and that sort of thing. News comments. We need to keep an eye on those and what have you. So everything that you're encouraging the user to contribute, you need to um, keep an eye on. And I think one feature that we had was the ability for people to comment directly on sets. But most of the time, people just posted silly comments that um, didn't add any value to it. So that was something that I took off because it just wasn't worth the effort of uh, moderating it all. So. I could see that being a total headache, <laughs> a massive yeah. headache. Did you ever have moderators, you know, kind of helping go through that? Well, everyone that can author news articles is also a moderator of the news article comments. So, that you know, they go through and... Uh, we get rid of anything that gets reported to us, um, which unfortunately seems to happen far too regularly these days. But um. yeah, and was so. Was there ever any features that you wished that you implemented at a certain point in time, or that you had planned to do that kept getting pushed back? Or well, if they're not kind of in some backlog that may eventually come to the site, is there anything that you kind of have top of mind that you had an idea for at one point but you never implemented? I can't think of anything actually. No, I think most things um, might not do them straight away, but uh, but generally I've added all the features that I wanted to, and others have people have suggested. As long as they're sensible and not too difficult, then I'll uh, I'll add them. Amazing. Yeah. And so today, then, what does um, what does a day in your like in your life look like today? You know, I guess how much um, of your day will be taken up with something like database management versus something like you know maintaining. Um, I guess the the like the publishing of content and accuracy of the of the information going out there and kind of mm -hmm. handling the community aspect and different things like that. What what does a day in your life look like today? Well, let's take today as an example then. Not necessarily a typical day because it's um, the summer, so I don't do as much on the site as I would normally, but um, I tend to spend an hour or so reading emails, answering emails, looking through the um, 
calls to the help desk, which gets populated from the contact form on the site. So people might have um, had trouble logging in, in or, or, or getting their login credentials, or they might be telling us about a new set or some information that's not right, that sort of thing. So I'll spend an hour or so maybe going through that. Um, then today I built a set which, um, you know, of, of course, as well as uh, writing reviews, you also need to build the sets to start with and photograph them, what have you. And this is one that I built today, the uh, new Lego brand store that's out um, next month. So I spent the morning building that and photographing that and then this afternoon writing a bit about it. And I had time to go out on my push bike for a couple of hours as well. So it's uh, been a good day so far. <laughs> Everybody listening now is just full of jealousy, seeing your building upcoming sets and, you know, writing about Lego. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's really impressive what you've been able to kind of create and build um, with, with the business and the relationships you've built with Lego Group and, and all of those things as well. I do want to transition and talk a little bit about mm. some of the community aspects um, of it, but, um, but kind of on the, the, feature front and the evolution of the site over time um do you have a specific kind of a cadence or roadmap that you like to stick to or is it very much kind of still you know i guess the uh the entrepreneur startup mentality of like this is a really good idea i can get it built in a month i'm going to just launch it uh you know what does your kind of new release or change framework look like today do you have um uh you know because i've seen you know you have done changes in you know even mm -hmm. as, as as recently as last year um you know with with different kind of data showing up on the sets and different things like that uh so how does that usually work for you when you're making a major change most of the changes now actually are driven by user requests uh, we have a suggestion box you might have seen on the home page there encourage people to add their suggestions to that and uh, generally what happens is that they sit there for quite a while and then as i say in the autumn i'll take a look at them all and decide which ones are going to be sensible to implement and uh if they don't take too long and uh i can do them then i will do so you know it tends to be now user-driven stuff rather than things that i want to add yeah um, occasionally i suppose the only things i might add that nobody's asked me to do is if a vendor starts up an affiliate scheme and it makes sense to try and incorporate their data into the site then that's something that I can do fairly quickly now because most of the code is uh, can be reused vendors. And perhaps a good example of that is uh, StockX. I think it's the most recent one I've added, which um, some of you might know is a site where you, you can buy trainers and sportswear and all that sort of thing and be sure that it's um, authentic. Yeah. But they now want to get into Lego in a big way. So they've got um, you know a big Lego section there and a, a feed of all their products that... Uh, are available on the site and that was i think the last thing i incorporated of any sort of size that um yeah yeah and and last year one of the big things that i've seen in the communities everyone started talking about the fact that um all of a sudden we had retirement dates on the brickset uh web pages was that um i guess something because in the past i had already thought it was something that a lot of the publishers couldn't really do uh, because they didn't have information that was reliable enough to put out there in that way. And so I was that watched, uh, retirement dates? Oh, retirement dates. Yes. Okay. Retirement dates popped up on Brickset last year. I think that was the first yes. time um, 
and made a bit of a splash in the community. Everyone was kind of talking about it. Everyone was excited about it. And so um, yes. was it a case where you couldn't publish that before and then all of a sudden you could? Or what kind of changed there for you to add that in? That um, Yeah, that's quite interesting. I don't know how much I should say in case uh, someone in Lego is, is going to be listening to this, that, this but uh, um, that information actually comes from a, an official source that we were using anyway to, 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 to gather um, information about instructions that they're publishing. And um, I think I probably just hadn't noticed that it was there until I started to look more closely at the information. And um, yes, that's right, the um, marketing exit date, they actually call it, which isn't necessarily what we understand as the retirement date. Most of the time it overlaps, but other times there can be discrepancies. Um, um, it's obviously likely to change over time. So we actually now only show that if it's within the next six months. So although the information is out there for sets that are retiring in 20, 24, 25, maybe 26, we don't actually show it because it's likely to change before then. It's only when it comes within a next six month window that we will display that for users. So yeah, that's the only time really they need the information to be able to make a decision about whether they're going to buy it or not. Yeah, so you're just kind of making sure that nobody is misinformed by looking at something that says 2024. Um, it's yes. just too far out there. We don't know what's going to happen be between now and then. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that was going to be a question actually because I, you know, I, I noticed that some sets didn't have it. Um, oh. So hmm. that's that's uh, that makes a lot of sense. And so another thing I wanted to ask you about, Hugh, is um, you started opening the doors to developers and and people to actually build on. Uh, you know, on the Brickset database and different things like that with an API. And um, I've just been a little bit curious about your kind of thoughts on um, why you did that or what's your kind of stance on, you know, allowing people to access all of the data, data that you've gathered over time. Um, you know, has it in your mind led to great creations out there? Has there been some cool services built on, um, you know, on the back of your API and the work that you've done. And real quick, just to clarify for anyone listening, if you don't know what an API is, essentially, it just allows other developers, other people to build, um, you know, services, apps, websites, and different things, and programmatically connect into um, to the Brickset data. Uh, so, Hugh, what are where did that come from? Uh, you know, what was the purpose behind kind of opening up for developers? I think it was probably that it's better to share the information and have Brickset as the main source of data than have everyone else create their own database. You know, if Brickset remains in the center, people can do what they want with it. They haven't got to create their own and compete with me in that sense, I suppose. That was uh, perhaps one of the motivators. But um, I also wanted others to do uh, interesting things with it, mobile apps and what have you. And I see there's a question about that down there. Um, there are now probably a dozen or so mobile apps out there that um, people have written that work on the API. And because of that, I, I don't really feel the need to um, create an official one. You know, I could never come up with with some that are as good as those that are out there. So let's let them get, you know, do that hard work and uh, let everyone benefit from that. But they're driven by data from Brickset. Yes, that's right. Yes, if people are recording their collection at Brickset through a mobile app, then they're not doing it somewhere else, are they? That's, the, you know, I suppose that's the thing. That's that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great mentality to have on it, and makes makes perfect sense. Um, also, you know, mobile app development, as far as I hear, is a whole different beast as a, uh, when compared to running a website and 
a lot yes. of requirements from Google and Apple to be, you know, to stay relevant on the the app stores and different things like that. Um, I I like the stance of let others build it, and the data is still our data. Yes, I don't necessarily claim ownership on the data. I see it as a community resource. Really, it's you know I, I put in all the effort in certainly, but um, it's uh, you know it's, it's out there for everyone to use. It's um, perhaps that'll be my legacy. You know the uh, yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing, and absolutely agree because you know today the fact that anyone can go and find all of the information that's available on brickset.com for any of those sets, you know, with the number of minifigs and the exclusive minifigs and the part count and different things like that, uh, really is a massive resource for people that they can use free of charge. Um, we had a follow on question from that in the chat here. Uh, so you mentioned Hugh that there were tons of apps that have been built out there. Um, yes. Is there a list somewhere that we can see them? Yes, there is actually. Yes, um, it's on. The, I'm just going to load Brickset up on a different tab here. And uh, if you view the site on a desktop and you click on the more, the orange button, there's a link there to Brickset apps, which provides a directory of those that I am aware of. It's not necessarily all of them, but it's certainly the main ones and the main users of the API will be listed on there. Amazing. Uh, the main one actually for. Um, Android tends to be the um, MyBricks. It's called now. It used to be called MyBricks Set, I think, or something like that. But MyBricks tends to be the one that is uh, the most popular. It certainly hits the API more than any others. So that must be the one people are using. There you go. And for iOS, um, not so familiar with those personally, but uh, probably Brick by Brick, I think, the one at the top of the list there. But, uh, gotcha. There we go, folks. We have uh, a list, and you can go find that on Brickset if you want to check out some of the apps. Amazing. So, Hugh, I'd love to transition and talk a little bit more about the community aspect over the years. Um, you know, you have been central core to uh, you know a lot of um, the Lego community, obviously with Brickset being so kind of popular in the community. Um, I imagine you know that has kind of uh, you know helped you to really stay connected, even at times when a lot of us may kind of get a little fatigued or get a little kind of, you know, we go through spurts of building Lego and maybe we have a couple of months mm -hmm. off. Uh, you, you know, you've been core and center of it all for the last, you know, 20, 25 years. Um, I guess, firstly, has there been moments where you're kind of like, I just want to disconnect from, from building for a while or, you know, has there been times where you've had to dig deep to try and stay motivated and stay connected to Lego for a while? Or have you always kind of loved what you do so much that, it, it has been easy for all this, all this time. I don't think I've had any sort of uh, gray ages, so to speak. Uh, no, I think I've been um, fairly motivated and um, I'm a member of uh, Brickish, the, uh, the UK club for adult Lego fans. So I'm, I'm very involved with those. I'm a founder member of that and um, you know, put on exhibitions with those and have done for the last 20 years. So that, um, you know, keeps you motivated to, to stay in the hobby i think getting involved with the, that and the community aspect and the friends that you make and what have you is obviously a, a big part of it for me yeah absolutely and how i guess what was the beginning of brickish and how did that come about yes brickish actually had its 20th uh, birthday party last month and um back in uh, 2002 we formed and uh, we actually formed on a visit to uh legoland windsor when um 
back in the day, there used to be a company called Red Letter Days. I don't know if they still exist or not, but they used to put this one on um, among those where they did, you know, you can go, you know, parachuting and uh, whatever else they would do, you know, all those sort of big, um, you know, day outs that they were going to organise for people. One of them was a uh, a half day behind the scenes visit of Legoland and the model shop and what have you. So, you know, as Apple's, as soon as they advertised that, we jumped on that. And I think we did a couple of uh, red letter days, 2001, 2002, got to know sort of the people that were going to those. And um, on one of the events at uh, Legoland Windsor, we decided to form um, Brickish and that was when it was born. And this was, was this before kind of, I guess, user groups were, I guess, a common thing, um, you know, because today, you know, they're, they're very much endorsed by Lego group and, you know, there's discount days and different things like that mm -hmm. at, you know, Lego stores and different things. Um, and was this kind of before those things began? Yes, it would have been. I think, it, as I say, said earlier there, when I was an ambassador, one of the first ambassadors, 2005, 2006, that's when they started to sort of recognize communities. And um, at that point, they chose the ambassadors, if I remember correctly. So, you know, from various uh, high profile uh, user groups that were around at the time, you know, British being the one in the UK and IT Lug in um, Italy and De Baustein in, in Denmark and what have you, you know, there's one or two in America as well. And, uh, you know, I think there must have been 10 or 15 ambassadors in the first uh, phase. And that was, um, as I say, when we started to have a really good relationship with the company. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how has that relationship kind of developed over time with Brickset growing in popularity and different things like that? Well, it has changed considerably now, hasn't it? You know, there's a whole um, Lego ambassador network with hundreds of members. And, um, you know, there's two types of uh, entity that they support. There's the uh, Lego user groups that tend to um, <clears throat> meet physically and put on shows and what have you and then there's the uh the, the fan media like Brickset and all the other websites out there and they support us both in different ways and uh really very well actually i have to say mm -hmm. and have you like gotten to know people at the lego group kind of well over time or like have you built um yes. you know direct close relationships oh, with them? yes yes very much yes it's a shame we haven't been able to visit uh Billund for the last couple of years but i would have been over three or four times a year, perhaps in 2019 or so for one thing or another. Amazing. I'll be going back for the first time in September, actually. I'm looking forward to that. So. And are those trips mostly for conventions? Uh, thinking back to 2019, I think I went over for the um, annual results. You know, they published in February, I think it is. They invited a few fan media sites over for that. I would have then gone over for the um, fan media days that they organize uh, in may where they bring uh 20 or 30 representatives from fan media together for a three-day session where we will um get uh, to interview designers and see new products and uh, have talks about various initiatives in the company and that sort of thing uh, and then of course at the end of the month um, in september which is the one i'm going to this year it'll be the scareback fan weekend which is the biggest um lego event in europe for uh apples it's fantastic and so do you, when you're going to convention, because you, uh, I, I believe you travel to a handful of different conventions as well in other places. Is that right? Kind of internationally. Yes, I've not made it to the US yet, but I have been to um, Italy, Denmark, uh, France, Belgium. I've been to quite a few 
Portugal, of course, as well, the other one, a big one there. But uh, yes, I do enjoy the international community aspects of it. Yeah. Is there any like meetups that you would do for Brickset at all when you go, or is it kind of much more just, you know, with um, like the group of, of people that you've gotten to know over the years? Yes, we don't really have Brickset meetups, I suppose, at these things. Um, we have in the past organized um, a couple of events, although that was a good few years ago. We did a, um, a tour to um, Bilund, where Kim, the, um, the guy in charge at the time, organized a factory tour for about 20 Brickset members. And we did a, an outing to the uh, opening of the um, brand store in Leicester Square, London. I think those are the only two where we've actually had sort of Brickset branded events, as it were. But most of the time, I just participate in them as myself and meet people uh, who use the site. And it's always nice to do so. Right. It sounds like the Lego community has been like just a massive, massive part um, of your life personally as well, even outside of kind of the professional aspect with uh, with yes. Brickset. How much has it changed for you over time? You know, do you see much change in the Lego community in kind of the AFOL community? I mean, there's a lot of, of uh, renewed targeting of adults from Lego Group in the last couple of years. Um, yes. You know, it's it's definitely kind of, I think it's growing with adults. Um, you know, the sales numbers seem to show it that way, at least. Have you seen much change over time in terms of the community of, of Lego fans? That I think has been the biggest change is Lego's uh, efforts to target adult fans. I don't know necessarily that it's a, all a positive thing. You know, people there's just far too much now, isn't there? It, you, you know, there was a time when you could buy every big set that came out in the year. Now there's no chance at all with 40 or 50 of them costing, you know, several hundred dollars. You know, it's ridiculous, isn't it? And, you know, perhaps from that point of view, it's, it's not as good as it used to be. It, um, it seems to be a lot of discontent in the community about uh, you know what Lego is doing, and a lot of people are dissatisfied with uh, various things. You know the prices being one of them, and uh, you know the sets that don't meet their expectations, and Lego ideas producing things that they don't want, and what have you. Whereas uh, I think previously people would have been happy for you know everything that Lego did, but that's not the case anymore. Perhaps because the you know community's grown and there's you know attracted more of that sort of uh, negative uh, personality, so to speak. Yeah, and it sounds like some of the examples you're giving as well, maybe just I guess some commercialization increase from Lego Group, right? Like they see the opportunity, um, increased demand and sales numbers, and so what's going to follow? The opportunity to raise prices, uh, you know, and yes. expand the product line and different things like that new manufacturing facilities uh allowing for you know keeping more sets on the shelves and when they increase the size of the or the quantity of SKUs that they have um you know we're naturally going to see kind of less excitement around each one you know and less kind of mm. buzz and, and talk about each of those sets and people being able to collect all of them as you said yes i mean lego don't help themselves in some ways do they when they create all these uh exclusive sets that are sold out in minutes you know for example the um ulysses space probe is perhaps a good example isn't it that everyone seemed to want that for some reason and it was gone in 10 minutes or so you know they did make another batch admittedly but uh, but it leaves a bad taste in people's mouth when they can't get these things i mean you know from lego's point of view they want to offer something exclusive probably doesn't matter to them with you know whether people get them or not as long as they you know their sales targets are met or whatever but um 
nevertheless leaves a bad taste in people's mouths when uh, we do that sort of thing. San Diego Comic Con as well is another good example you know, where they brought out all these things that people can't get hold of but they might perhaps want to. Yep. Yeah. The Harry Potter uh, staircase gift of purchase right now, it lasted two days in the US or something like that. Yes, that's right. Yes. And, and of course, the threshold goes up and up and up every time and people just can't keep up with it, can they? It's a, it's a good point. Yeah. Um, before we move away from the user group, um, I'd love to just kind of ask you, you know, if there are people out there listening who are curious to learn more about the idea of user groups for building, for networking, for getting to know people, um, what like is there anything that you would say or any tips that you would say to someone who maybe there's none in their area? Do you think it's something that you know, someone should go and start up? Is it, a, is it a lot of work to start a user group? Because you probably have to advertise to get people interested in different things like that. Do you find that it's kind of a ton of, of time or do you think anyone should go and do it? I think most countries are covered now, aren't they? Um, you know, thinking about the UK, the British aims to cover the whole country. Uh, oh. But despite that, there have been um, a dozen or so regional groups have, have uh, formed as well. So there's you know, within the UK, there's going to be somewhere local that you can meet up with people. And um, if there isn't, then, you know, the, probably the, the way they start is, you know, two people meeting at a pub, isn't it? And thinking about, uh, you know, perhaps forming a club locally and, uh, you know, trying to attract other people online to, to join them. And um, that's probably how they start these days. <clears throat> yeah, so kind of naturally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, I mean, they don't have to be a lot of work. You know, when you start up, you don't need... Um, constitutions and all that sort of thing you know perhaps when you get bigger you need chairmans and uh, written rules and subscription fees and all that sort of thing but it doesn't need to start up like that it can just be a, a friendly meetup in a pub every week or some, whatever it is yep yep i wanted to ask you about um partnerships networking i guess the kind of the community aspect but related to growing brickset over the years and um, you mentioned, you know, the, the, the moment when you had started kind of working with affiliate partners as being a big driver of business and different things. Are there mm -hmm. other aspects of uh, partnership or working with other businesses or working with, you know, could even be photographers or anything at all that over the years was critical for your success um, when it comes to actually kind of leaning on others outside of your, your own team, mm -hmm. um, you know, working with <laughs> other sites, working with other people in the community and different things like that. Is there anything that comes to mind when it comes to uh, something in, the, in that area? Yes, I think the main thing will be uh, our good relationship with Bricklink. Uh, when Dan Jezik was uh, still alive, you know, he was the founder of Bricklink, of course, and uh, you know I had a good relationship with him, and uh, we had a, a, a data sharing agreement quite early on, actually, and um, you know that's where we obtain our information about minifigures and which minifigures appear in which sets that's all maintained by the Bricklink community. There was little point in me also trying to keep on top of that. So uh, it made sense to use uh, Bricklink's data. And he was quite happy to do that because, of course, um, if I show a minifigure that's available at Bricklink and provide a link to buy it at Bricklink, then that benefits uh, Bricklink, doesn't it, of course? So uh, you know, it was a win-win situation there, really. And uh, you know that good relationship continues now that the company is owned by uh, Lego still use the data there we still have a, a, a sort of a, a affiliate relationship with that as well so it um that has continued and that has been the key really to having uh, a lot of these other data sets on Brickset. 
it's amazing because it really is your um, secret sauce is is the data and the extensiveness of the data on Brickset. Um, you know, and mm-hmm. so and and obviously for Bricklink too, it's it's the fact that it's so expansive. It's the fact that you can get any part, you can look for anything. Uh, you can put, you can load a file in, and it will tell you all of the sellers who have all of the different parts that you need. And so, your completeness of data is probably, I imagine, one of the most important parts of what you do and what and of what they do. Um, how did that begin with Dan in the early days? How did how did the partnership begin? Oh, what with Bricklink? Yeah, would have been just a you know a casual email conversation, I suspect, with Dan when he was still around. Hey, can you I have know? your data? Yes, I mean you know the site would have been in it. Bricklink would have been in its infancy at that time, and Brickset yeah. as well. So uh, you know we worked together to uh, for the benefit of the community. Yeah, and definitely, definitely benefited. And so, has it changed with the Lego Group kind of taking over Bricklink, the way you interact with them, and kind of the partnership that you have with them? Not really. No, there hasn't been any change at all. The biggest change would have been when um, you know I can't remember when Dan died, but. Uh, after that time, it was run by his com- uh, parents for a time, and then after that, it was sold to um, that Korean businessman uh, Jay Kim, yeah. and then he started, you know, pouring money into the site and adding a lot of new features to it. And one of the things he did add was a good API that I could use to get uh, information out of it and provide links back to Bricklink and what have you. And that's, I suppose, when the you know the commercial relationship between the two companies began. Yeah, got it. Amazing. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, Hugh, if you look back over your time growing Brick Brickset into what it is today, what are some of the big challenges that you remember that you think about? What are some of the times when maybe you were kind of, um, I guess, going through a period of this is really difficult to solve. I don't know if it's worth it. Any any doubt or whatever that entrepreneurs, business owners go through, anything major that stands out to you in terms of challenges over the years? I don't think so. No, it's a, I mean, it's a funny thing running a website because you don't have any customers, you don't have any suppliers, you don't have any uh, bosses. And for a time, I didn't have any employees either. So it's just me there as a one man band. I didn't really feel under any pressure to do anything. You know, I just did what I wanted. And um, as long as the users of the site were happy, then that was uh, really all that mattered. So I can't think of any times when I th- you know, thought of throwing in the towel or anything like that. No, it's been uh, it's, it's, it's been what I want it to be, as challenging as I want it to be, and uh, that's pretty that's much right. how I like it. Well, um, okay, my last question for you, Hugh. Um, I guess, you know, because I want this show to be around Lego, but also around business owners, um, I de- I always want to ask everybody, Do you, if you had to go back and, I guess, give a tip or some sort of advice to yourself when you were beginning again for the first 30 days, is there anything that you would say? Is there any kind of um, thoughts that you would share to someone else who wanted to follow in your footsteps or build their own business, whether it's related to a website or Bricklink store or anything else in the world of Lego? Anything come to mind in terms of advice for a new business owner? I think you need to find your own niche. You know, it's, Brickset was lucky, I suppose, being there quite early on, finding a niche there with uh, lists of promotional sets that weren't available elsewhere and building that into a a comprehensive database which was better than anything else out there so you've got to find your niche and find something that nobody else is doing and do it better than everyone else 
and hopefully then when you've done that your visitors will uh, come to you but yes it's not easy as you've heard there it took me seven years before I made a penny from the site so I don't think you're going to get rich quick these days with um, with uh, much unless you um, you know maybe these youtubers and instagrammers these days do but i don't know whether it's possible in the lego world but yeah. perseverance <laughs> yes. and hard work that's what it sounds like amazing well hugh thank you so much and we just got a, a comment in here as well thank you for brick said i think i speak for the entire lego community when i say uh that it is a a massive um benefit to the community to be able to use that website to 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 get the information we're looking for i use it every single day i know everybody else does too uh so thank you for everything that you do incredible incredible resource for us all uh thank you for your time today and for telling us your journey i've really enjoyed learning more about it um i think everybody else has too so thank you so much um if uh, anyone who's listening wants to learn more about you brickset.com um is his website he's also got, got an about us page there and some links to uh, some of the other kind of resources as well where you can learn more about Hugh. Thank cool. you so much, Hugh. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back next week with another Lego business interview. Uh, looking forward to seeing you all there. Uh, and with that, I'm Shane from BrickBox.net, and I will see you in the next one. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star rating. It really does help us to bring you amazing content. And if you want to learn more about building an income with Lego, check out BrickBox.net or find us on YouTube at BrickBox to learn about Lego investing.